0: Good morning, Outlook family. Sure is good to see everyone this morning. Hope you're doing well. Glad, uh, for those of us who are in the room, isn't it nice to be someplace dry and warm right now and feeling the love together? And I'm taking it that if you're joining us online, you're someplace dry and warm too. And it's good to be together no matter where we are and open up God's word, which I am eager to. To do, We are in the middle of a series called Open Hands, Big Hearts. We've been looking at what it means to be filled with the love of God and then how that love filling us ends up focusing us on others. We've talked about the beauty of selflessness, of compassion and generosity, and next Sunday, fittingly, gratitude as we wrap up the series. Now, in these last couple of weeks, we've heard Jesus... Reply to someone in the crowd by telling them a parable. Today, in our passage, Jesus plants himself in a crowded place and points his disciples to a living parable. So we're going to jump right in and get started. We're in Mark chapter 12. If you brought your Bibles, feel free to turn to Mark chapter 12. If you don't own an easy-to-read copy of the Bible, you can always grab one off the cart in the commons, make it yours, write your name in the front. You can keep that, or if you've got your Bible app and you want to open that, that's cool too. Of course, I'll also have this passage on the screen. We're in Mark chapter 12, verse 41. It says, Jesus sat down opposite the place where the offerings were put, and watched the crowd putting their money into the temple treasury. Now, he's at the temple, and he's literally people watching, uh, but he's, it's not just any people watching. I mean, imagine what this would be like if uh, I planted myself out in our commons or, or here by the exit. We've got a couple of offering towers, right, which is very similar to what we're talking about here in the temple, and I just sat and watched you, right, right? see, hey, wait, 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 I think you forgot something, right? Or, or, oh, I don't know if that was enough, right? Like, if I sat and watched the offerings come in or not come in, right, how awkward would that be, right? I don't do that. I would never do that. But that's what Jesus is doing here. He is people watching at the temple in Jerusalem. Have you ever done that? You like to people watch? Go to the park or maybe if you find yourself at a mall I know the airport for me is always just a fascinating place. If I'm traveling and I find myself at the airport, just the idea that there are all these stories, right, all converging, if if, if even for a moment in one place, literally paths crossing, I can just get lost in thinking about all the things that might have brought people there and then where they're they're all headed and why. and, And God knows every single person and every single story. And I just find that to be a fun thing to think about. Well, Jesus is people watching, but in a pretty bold and conspicuous way, right? Like I said, Jesus plants himself right where he can watch people giving their offerings, dropping money into a collection box. Now, presumably, the disciples are there with them. They're at least nearby, as we'll see in a moment. And what we're about to read is a living object lesson that takes place right in front of them. And Jesus is a teacher that never wastes opportunity. So this is the scene. Now, why would Jesus do that? In fact, we might even be tempted to think, now wait a second, that's inappropriate. That's none of his business. Why would he sit there and do that? Well, let's be clear. It's certainly none of my business, right? And it's none of your business. But he is the Lord of all. He just is. So everything is his business. And he chooses to sit, and then he begins to teach a lesson. Now, the idea that the Lord of all, Jesus himself, would have something to say about giving or finances shouldn't strike us as strange. The scriptures have a great deal to say about money and material possessions. 16 of Jesus' 38 parables concern money. We've read a couple just in the last couple of weeks. There are about 700 verses in our scriptures on love, 500 on prayer, a little less than 500 on faith, but over 2,000 on the subject of money, finances, possessions, stuff. Often, what we do with our money reflects what's happening in our hearts and how we're choosing to live our lives. God knows this, and so He puts no small amount of guidance concerning this in His Word. And so, with that said, here the Son of God sits. At the temple, near one of the doors, seeing some offerings come in. Back to the passage now, last part of verse 41. Many rich people, it says, threw in large amounts. But a poor widow came and put in two very small copper coins, worth only a few cents. Now, here's what we know. that This was a box for purely voluntary monetary offerings, It had kind of a funnel, like a trumpet-shaped tube that then went down toward a lockbox. And coins would then be dropped into that tube. You could hear it happening. And so typically, when rich people put in their money, they made a lot of noise about it, right? Literally, you could hear all the coins going down the tube and then kerplunk, landing in the box. However, we hear that this small widow dropped, tink, tink, two small coins. In our own currency, small copper coins are, for us as well, the least, uh, the least amount a coin can be, our pennies, right? And so essentially she drops two pennies into the offering box. Now, there were 13 of these boxes throughout the temple. So you can imagine the cacophony, the noise that they're constantly making as people are dropping in their offerings from every angle. But there sits Jesus, and above it all, all that noise, he could hear those two pennies. And he could see and look into that widow's heart. I picture him sitting there, and with the disciples nearby, he says, did you catch that right there? Because something beautiful and powerful just happened. Verse 43, calling his disciples to him, Jesus said, truly I tell you. Now, whenever Jesus is talking, we do well to lean forward a little bit, right? What's he about to say? When he begins with truly I tell you, you know he's about to drop some serious knowledge. Truly I tell you, he says, this poor widow has put more into the treasury than all the others. They all gave out of their wealth, but she, out of her poverty, put in everything. Someone say it with me. Put in everything. All she had to live on. He's saying, check it out, guys. Someone. All these people, right? We're nearing a holiday. It's a crowded place. There's a lot of activity. Someone just put in everything. Today. You may be that someone who finally needs to put in everything. All your worries and your doubts, as we sang about earlier. All the the things that keep you up at night, or all the regrets and sins that you're wondering if anyone, especially God, could ever forgive. All the unforgiveness that you harbor for yourself, or maybe even for others. The wounds that you carry. Everything. And yes, including our stuff, our time, our talents, our resources, all of it. There's a lot of legitimate and perfectly understandable reasons that any of us could hold back from everything. We've all been there, sometimes many times on a given day, right? We're we're in this bargaining position, we think, with God. We don't always give our all. We don't always put in everything. But maybe big picture-wise, as you've been living your life, you know, I haven't really been giving God my all. I haven't really been completely devoted to Him. And you're beginning to realize that wears you out and wears you thin. Today could be the day that you put in everything, total surrender. If that's you and you'd like to talk or pray about that, I'd love to do that after church this morning, or any of our elders or ministers certainly would, or give me a call or email this week, you name it. But putting in everything is something every one of us needs to come to terms with. This is exactly what the poor widow does, Jesus says. It says that she put in everything she had to live on. The original Greek word there is bios, where we get biology. In other words, she put in all her living, all her life, all that she had left to live on was put in to that offering. Her next meal and all her hopes and everything in between. Because she seemed to know where her bios, where her living, her life, comes from. Now Jesus is consistently, let's back up here for a second, Jesus is consistently pointing us to an everything kind of devotion. And somehow we can miss this at times, or it slips our minds, and we end up buying into a bit of a watered-down version of devotion to Jesus, and we think that maybe some or most is good enough. And Jesus is constantly, constantly pointing us to everything. I don't, I don't want to read too much into this, but I do think there's something to observe there when you realize that the other folks were just, it says, throwing in their offering. It says the rich came by and just threw in their offerings. I get the picture of someone who's going about their life, right? But as they walk by, they do the obligatory toss of some offering into that lockbox, that tube, that place. They're just throwing it in. Maybe a little careless, maybe a little thoughtless, Maybe not so much from devotion, but from duty. And there they go, just throwing it in. But it says that she put those last two pennies in. Now, shortly before this happened, Jesus was asked, what is the greatest commandment? He seems to have been asked this at least twice in his ministry. And uh, we talked about some of that just uh, last week. Jesus answers, of course, that the greatest commandments are two in one, love God and love others. They come down to love, but it's not a love that flows out of obligation or convenience or when we finally have excess, enough time, enough resources, enough whatever. Jesus answers that we are to love with all, our heart, all, our soul, all, our mind, all our strength. Again, everything. So what does Jesus want from me? Or maybe a better question. What does he deserve? Everything. My all. Whatever the subject. Are we talking about finances, Rob? Sure. Are we talking about time? Sure. Are we talking about patience? You bet. Are we talking about grace and benefit of the doubt toward others? Absolutely. Are we talking about teachability or or humility? Yes. All of it, right? Everything that's in my heart, everything that's on my mind, everything that fills my soul, all of it is meant to be given in love to God. That's what he deserves. Jesus said as much in Luke chapter 14. He says, those of you who do not give up, there it is again, everything you have cannot be my disciples. Now, I'll at least tell you how I read this. I I don't think what we're talking about here is some sort of test that will never pass, some sort of high bar that we've got to figure out how to jump over, some mountain we'll never quite be able to climb, the idea that, well, you might want to be my disciple, but who could ever do this, right? Give up everything you have. No, I think what he's talking about is simply what happens in a human soul when we begin to comprehend who Jesus is. That when we begin to understand the depth of his love, what it meant for him to go to the cross, the power that is now unleashed by his resurrection, the new life that he's made available, that when you and I as human souls get near that truth and begin, and believe me, it takes the rest of our lives to, to, we can spend our whole lives trying to comprehend it, when we begin to grasp just who he is, then we begin to realize if I want, I want to be your disciple, and I gladly push everything across the table, because that's what, simply what you deserve. Everything I have, I want to give it to you. And there is no life of discipleship without just our constant um, giving and re-giving of ourselves, our whole selves, to him. I think that's what he's describing when he says, give up everything. Give up that resentment. Give up that unforgiveness. Give up that anger. Give it up to him. Let me ask, which costs more, following Jesus or not following him? Because based on what we've just heard from Jesus, we would have to agree that the cost of discipleship is great. It's everything. But I wonder if the cost of non-discipleship ends up being even greater. Following Jesus costs us everything, but we haven't yet got to all the beauty we get in return, right? Following Jesus costs everything, but not following somehow costs even more. Let me ask another question. What would the world do with a people wholeheartedly devoted to God? I'm not talking about religious zealots who scream and yell and force an ideology on others. I don't talk about that kind of quote-unquote so-called wholehearted devotion. I'm I'm not talking about a band of hermits who retreat from making a difference in the world just to keep their souls unpolluted as if that was the marker of wholehearted devotion. I'm talking about people who simply, daily, are looking for ways to give their all. Oh, we won't get it down perfectly. Most days, very, very imperfectly. But every day we just get up and we want to say, God, I want to give you my all. Keep teaching me how to do that. What, would, what kind of world would we live in? As everyone who bears the name of Christ devotes themselves to learning humbly, how do I keep giving my all? Jesus gave his all, right? And that's what he calls us to do as well. The other day I was at the grocery store and this one that uh, I was at, sometimes they'll ask you if you want to round up for the local food bank. And I always say, yes, I don't really give it much thought. And so they said, uh, uh, but th- th- today, that day, the guy says, uh, your total is 599. Would you like to round up for the food bank? And I said, yes, but then immediately I felt a little foolish, right? I was kind of like, oh, wow, it's that that's, that's only a penny. Uh, not a big deal. I almost felt like, can we go back? Should I get something that costs a little bit more so I can round up a little bit more or something? I just felt so, me, uh, so meaningless, right? Just an individual penny. But if we're hearing what Jesus is saying here, we can argue about whether pennies matter, and we end up missing the point, right? We're doing the wrong kind of arithmetic. What Jesus is saying here is that intent matters, and devotion matters. So whether we, when we round up, so to speak, or when we give sacrificially, or whatever it is, the question is not so much the amount first, it's the yes to the question. See, I think one way to look at our own spiritual maturity is just simply to ask ourselves, am I increasing in my reflex or my instinct to say yes to whatever it is I'm sensing God wants me to be or do or become, to give, to share, to go, to love, to listen, to you name it, right? How quickly or how easily or how much better am I getting at just saying yes, Now, I could overthink it and start doing a lot of arithmetic and end up thinking a penny or two is no big deal. And then I end up saying what? No. And in the end, I've lost. I've lost spiritual growth. I've lost the point. Think about this. Jesus will soon be hanging on the cross. We're not far from that now at this point in his life story. And even while he's heading to the cross, he's dropping this wisdom, two copper coins he brings the disciples over to teach them, three iron spikes that he will about to endure, one and the same principle. The answer to how much is always everything, everything on the cross, everything from us as we take up our cross. See, I love how God's way of measuring is not the same as our human way of measuring. Jesus said that this widow, quote, put more into the treasury than all the others. Now, mathematically, economically, that's just not the case, right? Two pennies did not compare in those ways of looking and measuring to what the others were putting in. But the way faith figures these things is different. It really is like the new math, right? This is the ultimate new math that we're talking about right here. As we say around outlook, it's not the size of the gift, it's the heart behind it that matters most. And I have to say, kind of like when I was in the checkout line at the grocery store, if I put myself in this widow's shoes, I would have come up with reasons to hold back, especially if all I have left are these two small copper coins. What difference could a penny or two even make? And who will notice or care? But friends, listen, no gift of love is too small. In fact, there is no such thing as a small gift when given in love. Sacrificial love makes all our gifts large. And hope and trust in God makes all our gifts meaningful, which you have to imagine there was a lot of hope and trust in her offering. Jesus is teaching about what sacrifice looks like. This is a primary principle in his new kingdom and a recurring theme in his teaching. You'll see it throughout his teaching. He talks about how the first will be last. Don't try to promote yourself to the top. Instead, stay last and serve others. And there's where you'll find true greatness. In fact, he says, those of you who want to be great must become the least and the servant of all. He says, if you want to humble yourself, or if you want to exalt yourself, then be humbled. Stay humble. Those who do so will end up being exalted by God. The one who rules should be the one who serves. On and on and on. He says this, this upside down kingdom that he calls us to, in which two small pennies, because they're everything, count more than whatever large amount might be dropped in or thrown in to that offering box. I think about it like this. When I think about uh, the way we measure compared to the way God measures, I think uh, maybe this is just me, but I'm guessing it's not so much. I can end up measuring fairly in fairly small ways. We judge each other. We're pretty hard on ourselves. The amount of grace that we give, the amount of patience that we might have is measured out in small doses. You might see this person, right? Someone else, not so much, You look at yourself, it might be even the hardest on yourself. That The the measure that we use is closed and narrow. People with open hands and big hearts use a different measure. I think about God and the way he loves us. And I think about how much that love, how deep that love can be and how far it can reach and how long-suffering and what great lengths Jesus went to to have a relationship with you and me. And I realize that the puny way that I measure and the the depth or the breadth of my love for others or especially myself can sometimes be quite small, but compared to God's love, and there's no end to the tape of his love. Compared to his love. I know mine needs to enlarge that far too often my love for someone might be somewhere (laughs) down here in the single digits, right? This is as far. I can stretch in my patience or until my anger takes over or I run out of grace and again maybe especially even for ourselves but God has a different way of measuring and I've found that the longer we follow him one of the ways that that begins to bear fruit in our lives is we just end up measuring in new ways we give each other we cut each other a lot of slack right Which is what grace... is just another way of talking about grace, in a way. And we end up getting better and better at that. Here's the way Jesus put it in Luke chapter 6. Do not judge, and you'll not be judged. Don't condemn, and you won't be condemned. Forgive. You will be forgiven. Give, and it will be given to you. A good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over, will be poured into your lap. And here is the kicker. For with the measure you use it will be measured to you. And now we're bumping squarely into a fundamental of faith in Christ. We get all that life in Christ has to offer when we give all we have to offer. That this measure we're talking about also is measuring the openness of our own hearts to receive. And if we're closed in our giving of grace or patience or love to others, we'll find, not because God's love is small, but our opening to receive that same love, grace, and patience is also small. The work of the Holy Spirit then expands and grows that in each of us. With the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Am I narrow and closed with others or with myself? Do I have little grace or small patience, minimal empathy or understanding? We've all been there, but it's a question worth asking. What is the measure of my faith. Now, Jesus says that, again, his way of measuring is, is different. Faith is measured in mustard seed proportions, we read about, right? The tiniest of seeds, he says, has the tremendous potential to become the largest of trees. That's what his kingdom is like. And he also says elsewhere that just a little dose, a mustard seed do- size dose of faith in a single human heart can move mountains. Even the impossible is possible for you, we just got to sing. What's the measure of faithfulness? It's not the grand gesture. We see this again and again in the Scriptures. It's steady sacrifice, no matter what, even when it's hard, believing in God's goodness and sticking with Him. See, what we're really seeing here in this moment at the temple, when someone only has two pennies left, think of the desperation of that moment put ourselves in her shoes for just a second. And then when someone gives those two pennies, something nuclear is happening in the realm of faith. Atoms are splitting in the supernatural realm. Something explosive and radiant is taking place. And that might be you today. You might sense and feel as though all you've got left in terms of grace, or patience, or endurance, is two little copper coins. You're not sure what to do with them. I'm telling you, give them to God. Whatever you got left, devote it to Him. She put in more because she put in everything. And see, that's the overall principle, right? Our giving guides are living. She put in all she had left because that's who she was. I can't help but wonder, maybe earlier in this widow's story, she and her husband would come to the temple on this holiday week, and maybe they had great sums to put in at one point. Maybe there were other chapters of her story that weren't quite so desperate and tragic, but who she was then, we just got to sing it, who she was then believed that God was faithful. He was faithful then. He's faithful now. So she's declaring in those two small coins, who I was then and who I am now are the same. Because God, you're the same. And I'm going to keep my faith in you. Back then I may have had some big offerings. Times were good and I was joyful to help the poor and to, uh, to operate the temple and to worship you by generously giving of my tithes and offerings. And right now, today, God, this is all I got. But just like all that was yours, all this is yours that's who I was. That's who I'm choosing to remain, to be. Rich Velodis is a pastor and author that I admire, and uh, recently he posted this observation. For those discerning what God's will and path is for their lives, Bishop Robert, Robert Barron suggests we ask ourselves an important question. I really like this. Which path makes me most generous? that if you have a decision in front of you, which path will expand your heart and open your hands, right? What a great question to ask. Not which path will benefit me more or make me look best or whatever. Which one will pry open my soul and make me more generous than before? That's a good question for all of us. Am I becoming more or less generous? Are my hands open more or closed more? Is my heart expanding or shrinking in on itself? Am I experiencing an expansive, ever widening ability to forgive or be patient or help others or really listen and learn? This is the way the Apostle Paul put it. Remember this whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. Whoever sows generously, Will also reap generously. It makes sense, right? You put in a little bit of seed in the ground, you're only going to get a little bit of a harvest. Now, I'm not talking about the way some television preachers misuse this passage, right? To tell you that if you give a big offering, you'll become rich, right? Five-car garage and all that stuff. It's not what I'm talking about. However, the context of the passage is without a doubt, undeniably, about our own financial giving and worship to God. Again, as we said a couple weeks ago, he goes on, each of you should give whatever you've decided in your heart to give. And heart is the key word here big hearts, expanding hearts, not reluctantly, not under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. That is the overall principle. You heard uh, Josh and Kate say in the video that we're in the middle of our season of blessing. It's been awesome so far. I'm happy to report your generosity has been amazing. 375 Operation Christmas Child boxes went out the door this week, and that 118 became 122 Thanksgiving bags, each one representing a full meal for an entire family. That means Five schools that we work with, each of those schools give us the names of everyone in their school that's in need and would benefit by that meal. And we were able to fulfill every single request. That's where the number 122 comes from. It comes from what the schools, yeah, glory to God for that. And now I just wanna highlight what you heard them say, Christmas. The Christmas store is coming up. Several of you are already uh, buying uh, toys and clothes, and you're bringing them in, and that's awesome. Last year, we served 89 families who purchased gifts for 402 children. We are aiming this year to bless 500 kids. Now, this is going to be a challenge. I was chatting with Mike Wilkins this week, director of Renewal Neighborhood Ministries, and the pastor of our church plant there. Uh, The other ministries that we're aware of who do Christmas store-type activities in different parts of the city are all sharing with him and that they're facing those supply chain issues we're all reading about, that they're, they're wondering if they're going to have enough toys or enough clothes for everyone. And so I'm beseeching you, outlookers, to let's buck that trend and let's find God some God-supplied ways to make sure that we can... Uh, serve every single family that comes into that Christmas store and meet at least that 500 kid goal that we have for this year. So check that out. You heard them talk about how you can jump online and do that at OutlookChurch.org slash blessing. Now, one more thing before we wrap up here. Talking about giving, that can be uncomfortable. I just want to say when we give, We think sometimes we're divesting ourselves of money. Like, I gave it, now I'm less. I have less. But we really couldn't be more wrong. We're investing ourselves when we give. We look for a safe place sometimes, we say, to park our money or a good and worthy investment. But let me leave us with these words of Jesus in Matthew 6. Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and vermin destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven. Where moths and vermin do not destroy, where thieves do not break in and steal. Jesus is not talking about possibilities, but certainties. What is stored up on earth will be destroyed. It will eventually come to nothing. Not might, not maybe, not could be. Either it leaves us while we're on this earth, as we strategically, sacrificially, and joyfully give it, or we'll leave it behind when we pass. How do we make sure money doesn't take up space on the throne of my life? How do we do that? We give it away. When we give, we make it clear to ourselves that money, uh, that my money serves me, and not the other way around. Right? And nothing achieves this like giving. Jesus knows this because he ends this passage by saying, "For where your treasure is, there your there is that word again. Heart will be also. When our heart is in it, that's what God's always looking for. Two pennies." Two open hands, two pennies, but a big heart, because two pennies was everything. And this is the lesson that we all must learn. It's the measure we use. It's the treasure we store. It's the life we live and the love we give. Let's pray about that. Lord, we thank you for this uh, straightforward, simple, but really powerful lesson that Jesus taught there that day at the temple door that as we hear that observation that he makes about that widow, may we read ourselves into the story and realize that we want to be, with your help, with the Holy Spirit's power, the kind of people who will put in everything, large or small, not because of the amount, but because of who you are, because it's everything we are. You just deserve that. You're worthy of that. We want to give you everything about us, because you're our Lord and our Savior. You're the king of our lives. So, Lord, I pray for for all of us. What we're talking about is not an easy thing, but it's certainly a beautiful and joyful thing. And by your Spirit, a very possible thing. People wholeheartedly committed to you. That's who we want to be. And it's in Jesus' name we pray for these things. Amen.